This is Tending Seeds, a podcast about my adventures in homesteading and herbalism. I'm Sarah Schuster, and I'll be your host. Thanks for being here today. Hey, friends. I hope you're doing well. Thanks for tuning in for another episode here. We're having to water the garden quite a bit. Rain keeps passing us by, and it is so incredibly hot here. I'm harvesting a lot from the garden still. I'm getting to work with spilanthes and hyssop for the first time, making different tinctures from those plants. I also still have tons of passion flower and passion fruits, though the fruits are not quite ripe yet, but hopefully over the coming weeks. Sumac is also in season as well. I got a harvest of that a few weeks ago and ground and dried that for seasoning, but now I also need to go harvest some more for teas. Speaking of teas, I have been having so much fun making personalized tea blends for folks. I've done about a dozen of these this month, and it's brought me so much joy to get to discuss goals with you all, or what kind of tea habit or ritual you would like to bring into your daily life, and then blend that up for you. If that's something you're interested in, feel free to give me a shout over on Instagram. And yeah, I think that's kind of it for today. I really just want to jump into our main topic. We're going to be focusing today talking all about elder Elder is one of my favorite plant allies to work with, so much so that I named my business Fox and Elder. So I figured why not start with Elder for our first herbal deep dive here on the podcast. I'm wanting to start doing episodes like this pretty regularly, maybe every month or every two months or so, and just kind of diving deep into a specific plant, talking about its identification, how and where it grows, and then different methods of incorporating it into your life, as well as a little bit about folklore and myth surrounding that plant. So as we jump into our main topic today, I'm going to start with how to properly identify elder, where elder grows, and how to grow it yourself. We're going to be only focusing on two types of elder today, Sambucus canadensis, or American elder, and Sambucus nigra, European elder. American elder is native here in Tennessee, but European elder has also been introduced and grows very well here too. Elder is a deciduous tree or shrub. It's pretty good sized. It can easily reach like 10 to 15 feet in height around here. It really, I know it's technically like a tree, but it really does appear more as a shrub. It makes like a really good dense thicket. Um, You've probably heard me talk in previous episodes about how we're planting it along one of our fence lines, along one of our property lines to sort of block out a neighbor who has a really, really bright lighting system in their yard that they leave on all night long. So that's our first line of attack to sort of make a better hedge or barrier there between us and our neighbor. Not because we don't like the neighbor, we just don't really like those bright lights. So the bark of elder has small bumps on it called lenticels. And if you were to snap a branch in half, you would see the center of the branches contain a white pith. This pith can easily be removed, and so children will sometimes hollow out the branches and dry them and then use them as little pipes. In fact, one of the common names for elder is actually pipe tree. Elder has dark green leaves that are very vibrant in the landscape, and the leaves are opposite and pinnately compound. If you're interested in diving deeper into botany, I really recommend Thomas Elpel's book, Botany in a Day. It's super useful for learning broader categorizations of types of botany, types of plants, so that even if you're out in the woods and you come across a plant, you may not be able to, from what you've learned um, from Botany a Day, you may not be able to like specifically ID exactly what that plant is, but you'll be learning about plant families and just general traits across different species. And so you might be able to go, oh, well, this has this many petals or this many sepals 
or the leaves are shaped like this. So I know it's at least part of this family, or I know it's a type of goldenrod, even if I can't tell you exactly which type it is. So it's a really great book. I highly recommend it. A really big key part of proper plant identification is also going to be aware of not just what your plant looks like, the one you're out there hoping to find, but you need to also know about potential plant lookalikes. I can't stress enough how absolutely vital it is to make 100% certain of an ID before you harvest anything. If you don't know what a plant is, then there really is absolutely no reason for you to be cutting pieces of it off or digging it up. It is so frustrating to see folks in an herbal group posting pictures of baskets of plant material and then asking, hey, what is this? Or even if they know what the plant was, then asking, well, what should I use this for? It just blows my mind. Like, okay, you just ripped up dozens of plants that you might now just be chucking in the trash because either you harvested the wrong plant and it's not a thing that you're actually going to use, and so you just chuck it outside in the trash or the compost bin, or even if it was the correct plant, maybe you went and harvested way too much of it and you'll never actually need everything you can make from the amount you harvested. There are some herbs out there that are really incredibly low dose and or very rarely used. Like you don't need a gallon of lobelia tincture. You would die before you ever needed all that. Like you'll never use that up. You could spend your whole life giving that away to folks. You're never going to use a gallon of lobelia tincture. Okay, mini rant over. Thanks for bearing with me for a second. So just to reiterate, always be certain of your plant ID, both for your own safety and also because that's just best practice and being respectful of the plants. Also do it for other herbalists out there. Sorry, another little mini rant coming here. We're really lucky in the US in that herbalism hasn't become this incredibly regulated thing, which it definitely has in other countries. Like I know we complain about regulation in the US so much and those, those of us that are like making products, like dealing with like insurance and liability and GMPs and things like that, we actually have it really easy compared to some countries. So I think about this, this lack of regulation that we has, have now, because there are always people pushing for more regulation. So think about if a bunch of, you know, budding herbalists start showing up in the ER because they ingested something toxic, or even worse, because people they sell herbal products to get sick, we could really be looking very quickly at a ton more regulation that's designed to take plant medicine out of the hands of the people, which is where it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be the people's medicine, but taking it out of their hands and putting it squarely into the hands of corporations with really expensive laboratory testing to verify, you know, what they're harvesting and producing. So, all right, second mini rant over. Sorry, I guess it's just that kind of day. All right, so what are some possible plant lookalikes for elder? Both the berries and the flowers can be mistaken for other plants um, at different points in the season. This is why I really recommend that you learn plants and watch them for like a full cycle so you can see what they look like even in winter, even as they're just, you know, in spring starting to wake up and get leaves, but they're not flowering yet or they're not producing, you know, berries. Observe plants through their whole cycle and you'll really be much better equipped to properly identify those plants. So elderberries and pokeberries can often be mistaken for one another, and they are in season around the same time of year. They're both uh, ripe and ready to be picked right now here. Pokeberries can be quite emetic, meaning causing like vomiting or nausea or diarrhea, or even worse, depending on the quantity that you're ingesting. So you definitely don't want to confuse these. Luckily, I feel that the structure of the berry clusters is quite different 
Pokeberries, once they get fully ripe, they hang down from the plant in groupings that are sort of similar to maybe like a cluster of grapes. They're not as tightly packed together, but that's sort of what it reminds me of. Elderberries instead hang in like heavy droops when they're ripe. And they look very similar to the umbels of like the flowers as well. So if you've ID'd elderflower while it was out there, it's going to make it easy to then come back and get those berries later on because you'll have kind of marked in your head where those elder plants are anyway. If you have any doubt, you can easily search just elderberry versus pokeberry. And you'll find plenty of sites that do side-by-side photo comparisons of those plants. And once you see them next to each other, they are actually quite different. And definitely once you've positively ID'd them both once or twice out in the wild, you'll probably feel pretty confident being able to do so again going forward. Because of, you know, plant toxicity and different lookalikes out there, I know when I first started doing any foraging I was always, or gathering, I was always like really nervous about it and always just like taking pictures, looking at my guidebooks, looking at photos online. Now I'm just like driving down the street at like 50 miles an hour and I'm like, there's elder over there. So once you start acquiring some plant identification knowledge, you'll see that it really builds on itself really quickly and your confidence will grow. But again, just because I know a few plants doesn't mean I know all of them. So anytime I'm going out to ID a plant for the first time and it's not one I've grown to be familiar with and feel confident with my ID, I'm always double and triple checking my guides, tutorials online, videos, you know, I always go for more than one source. With elderflowers, the potential lookalike here is water hemlock, which is deadly. So you for sure want to know this one. I would also really encourage you, if you're going to be going out and doing any sort of gathering or wildcrafting, you want to learn to properly ID the most common toxic plants in your area because you don't want to make this mistake. This is definitely, water hemlock is definitely one I would make sure I knew how to properly ID or at least had a general enough idea of what it looks like to know to steer clear from anything that fits that description that I don't know exactly what it is. So water hemlock has a green stem with purple splotches on it, or if it's a really young plant, the stem can be almost like entirely this like dusky sort of purple. Unlike elder, water hemlock has alternate leaves instead of opposite leaves. The flowers are also white and grow in a shape that can be kind of similar to that of elder flowers at first glance. But just like I said when discussing elderberries, if you do a side-by-side photo comparison, it's actually really easy to tell these apart, but it is always good to double and triple check especially with something like hemlock. As its name suggests, water hemlock likes to grow near or even in water. Elder also likes to be in moist soil, so it's possible to find both of these plants growing in relatively similar areas. Um, Elder will not grow directly in water though, so if you see a plant and it's actually like out in the water, kind of like a boggy like inlet part of a river or something like that, it's most likely going to be water hemlock. Um, If it's along the banks, a watery bank or just kind of a marshy area of land, it might be either one. So definitely make sure you're double checking your ID. I don't think it's difficult to distinguish the two of these once you know what you're looking for, but when in doubt, walk away. Also, before you walk away, if you have a camera with you, go ahead and take a couple photos of it at different angles, different parts of the plant. That way, when you do get home, you can take that as a learning opportunity and either do further research and look it up yourself Or if you've done that and you're still really stumped, there are some great botany and plant identification groups out there on, you know, Facebook and different forums and sites like that. Here in Tennessee, elder grows all over. We find it along both waterways and roadways fairly frequently, um, though I don't tend to harvest along roadways for 
just like pollution and car yuckiness issues. If you're wanting to grow elder on your property, though, it makes an excellent thicket or privacy barrier, like I mentioned a minute ago for us and what we're doing here with that. It grows pretty quickly and will spread quite easily. You can buy plants from a nursery or even grow them from seed yourself, which isn't super difficult. But honestly, the easiest and fastest way to propagate elder is going to be through cuttings. They're incredibly easy to root and transplant. You'll want to take cuttings from the newer green growth, so not like the woody stems. And you're going to do this either in early spring or fall. Though honestly, elder is such like a hardy plant. If you felt like it, you could probably do this at, you know, the height of summer too, if you wanted to. But traditionally, we're going to be doing this in early spring or fall as we head towards winter. You're going to want to take cuttings that are about six inches long that still have leaves on them. Remove the leaves from like the bottom two thirds of the cutting, but let the top leaves on the top one third stay there. You're going to place the cuttings in a jar with some water, put them on like a windowsill or something, make sure they get daily sunlight, change the water out every so often, maybe every couple of days or whenever it starts to look like it has any funk or cloudiness to it. And you'll start getting roots. Once you've got a decent amount of roots forming, you can transplant either to a pot or just go ahead and plant them in their permanent growing spot. Like I said, elder's pretty hardy. I've even heard about people just taking cuttings and not even rooting them, just like going and taking the cuttings and sticking them out in their permanent growing spot on their land where they plan to have them. You might not have a 100% you know, success rate with that, but probably some of them will still live and survive. Like it's a pretty hardy plant. So elder likes a good amount of moisture in the soil, but it should also be well draining. It doesn't like standing water, kind of like what we were talking about with the water hemlock. You know, el- water hemlock's fine in the, in the water. Elder doesn't like that so much. It wants plenty of water, plenty of moisture, but it doesn't want to be in standing water. Full sun is great, though elder can also tolerate partial shade. And kind of a nice thing about that is if you have it on your property, if you have some that's in full sun and some that's in partial shade, you'll get those flowers and berries happening kind of in a staggered fashion um, where the ones in shade might be producing fruit like a little bit later, like a few weeks later. So it kind of gives you a way to stagger your harvesting time, which is kind of cool. I normally put my cuttings about six feet apart because elder can get bushy pretty quickly. And like I said, it does spread very easily. Um, Just the ones that we planted here last fall. So less than a year ago, I already have little you know, baby elders popping up, you know, in a one to two foot radius around that original planting. A big thing here is you are going to want to protect your elder as it grows. Other animals, but especially deer, love to graze on it and they will chew it down to nothing unless you put a barrier up. I have unfortunately learned this the hard way. But once the elder is well established and large enough, so, you know, (laughs) big enough to handle some grazing, you won't need to worry about this quite as much, if at all. So now that we've covered proper identification and how to grow elder, let's jump into some culinary uses. At the commercial level, if you have ever had St. Germain or any other elderflower liqueur, then you already know how just amazingly delicious elderflower can be. Um, Before I stopped drinking, this was my go-to for having a fancy beverage, and it's still one of my favorite flavors in the whole world. Luckily, there are also some really great elderflower lemonades and sparkling beverages out there. I've even spotted them occasionally at my local grocery store here in more recent years, which makes for a super fun treat. Other than beverages, though, one of my favorite ways to prepare elderflowers in the kitchen is by dipping them in a light batter and then frying them into fritters. They are out of this world and so, so good. If you've never had this, 
make a note of it for yourself so that next season when the flowers are out, go ahead and do that. You're, yeah, you can thank me later. It's amazing. It's so good. Elderberries are really versatile for jams and jellies, and they also work well in baked goods. Uh, you can sub them in for just about anywhere that you would put like a blueberry in a baked good. My friend Bert just made some elderberry muffins last week that looked amazing. There's a book by Dina Falcone called Foraging and Feasting, and she offers some really interesting recipes in that book, um, some specifically for elderberries, like a fruit ketchup recipe that I'm definitely going to try this season. Also a blackberry and elderberry chocolate pie. That sounds so amazing. And oh, some folks also like to make elderberry wine. A quick note on elderberries. Almost everyone recommends cooking or drying them before use because they contained cyanogenic glycosides that can cause nausea and vomiting. In other words, functioning as an emetic, even if you didn't want one. This isn't anything to be alarmed about, just something to be aware of when deciding how to prepare the berries. I do sometimes run across recipes where folks are using the berries raw in small amounts, as long as they're, you know, super ripe. And, you know, they claim that they're fine. That's not something I personally want to take the risk with, so I'm always using them cooked. In terms of medicinal uses, so talking about the energetics of, of plants, we talk about whether things are heating or cooling, whether they're damp or dry, whether they're tense or lax. The energetics of elder would be cooling, drying, and we would probably call it lax because it does tend to be sort of a relaxing herb as well. When we talk about elder's herbal actions, um, <laughs> there are so many, and we're not going to get into all of them here today, but some of the ones we can start with would be an alterative, antimicrobial, antiviral, astringent, immune-stimulating, diaphoretic, and nervine. Each part of elder has some overlap with the others in terms of those herbal actions and properties, but we're going to go through and kind of talk about them piece by piece just so we can pluck them out and you can decide which part of elder would maybe best fit your life or the things that you're dealing with. When we talk about the flowers, elder flowers are a diaphoretic, meaning they cause sweating. So having a hot elderflower tea can be really useful when someone has a fever and, you know, the start of like a sickness. So helping to elevate that body temperature, encouraging the body to raise the temp and, you know, sweat it out. That's your body. Your body raises your temperature in order to, you know, kill off illness. So fevers in and of themselves usually aren't bad. Um, that's your body's immune response to foreign pathogens. And they're trying to heat things up and get them to get out of there. So yarrow pairs really well with elderflower if you're making a tea for this purpose. Elderflower tastes great. Yarrow can be really bitter, depending on the ratio there. Um, you might want to maybe even add some other things in there to maybe cover up that yarrow flavor. I don't super mind it. And when I'm sick, I'm willing to chug down just about anything. But um, peppermint might also be something nice to kind of mix in there. So elderflower, yarrow, and peppermint can be a really yummy tea. If you, instead of putting them in a hot tea, if you were to prepare elderflowers in cold water as like a cold infusion, they would actually then have a diuretic effect. And so that can assist with edema or water retention. So diuretic meaning trying to get that fluid out of you. You probably wouldn't want to take that right before bed because then you're going to be getting up all night having to go use the bathroom as you get that fluid out of your body. So 
Also, the flowers can have a calming and relaxing effect on the mind during times of stress or anxiety. So having, you know, even if you're not feeling sick, having a tea blend that has, you know, a little bit of elderflower in it can be really soothing at an emotional level. Elderflower is also useful topically. It's anti-inflammatory and astringent. And so it can be helpful with skin conditions ranging from acne to burns to eczema. And then as a flower essence, elderflower stimulates joy and resilience and can also assist in moving through a period of emotional stagnation. With the berries, elderberry is so extremely nutritive. It has great vitamin and mineral content, including quite a lot of both vitamin A and vitamin C, which are great things to include in one's diet as winter nears. We talk about rose hips for vitamin C, especially in winter. Elderberry has almost as much vitamin C as rose hips, and it's so delicious. Elderberry syrup has definitely become all the rage for immune support, especially during cold and flu season, and for good reason. We've had numerous scientific studies that have been done showing that elderberry is effective in both shortening the length and severity of an illness. Elderberry helps stop a virus's ability to replicate, which means you're giving the body a chance to focus on fighting off the pathogens that are already present without having those pathogens keep reproducing and increasing in number. Elderberry syrup can be taken either as like a daily preventative tonic. So as you head into fall and winter, cold and flu season, you might want to just be taking maybe a tablespoon of it once a day. Or if you do become sick or you start feeling like you're getting sick, you can start taking this in higher doses. I would still take it just at the tablespoon level, but then repeating that and taking that three or four or even sometimes more times a day, depending on how that feels for you. As always, everything's very individual and personalized and you want to pay attention to how is this making you feel. Elderberry is also considered to be anti-inflammatory and blood building, which means it's that alterative property that we mentioned earlier. So every year I always make a big batch each year of elderflower tincture and elderberry tincture. I also do elderberry syrups. And then I also like to keep a good amount of dried elderflowers on hand for making tea. If you've never harvested and dried elderflower, it's a pretty amazing experience. It's such a fantastic smell. I love it so much. But it's also a little bit frustrating because once you dry those teeny tiny flowers, they shrink down to almost nothing. And so trying to get like a quart-sized jar full of those, even just for your personal use for the year, like it can take a lot of effort to do that. But I feel it's super worth it. Most people really only focus on the flowers and berries of elder, but the leaves actually can have some medicinal benefit as well. In The Way of Herbs, Michael Tierra writes that the leaves are a good detoxifying agent in salves. And my teacher, Juliet Blankespore, says that elder leaves make a beautiful green oil to apply to the skin. I haven't personally experimented with this yet, but I'm always interested in learning ways to more fully incorporate all parts of a plant into medicine making whenever that's possible. And since we did mention elderflower being good with skincare, you know, I can imagine like trying to make uh, a salve or an oil with both the leaves and the flowers combined and kind of moving more towards that whole plant medicine. So in addition to learning about a plant's culinary and medicinal uses, I also love to dive into plant history and folklore. And elder has quite a rich and interesting history. Elder was considered sacred and protective in many societies. 
My ancestry on my mother's side is Danish, and in Denmark, the elder mother, or Hildimor, was the spirit or goddess that resided in the plant. Elder has many associations with being a plant of protection. It was a wise move to have elder growing near your home if possible, and the branches and leaves would often be hung over your doorway or windows, and you would even maybe carry small bits of elder, the berries, the flowers, or some leaves in your pockets for personal protection when you traveled or just went about your day. Elders often viewed as a gateway guardian or a portal between worlds. It's a place to step through to a liminal space and beyond. It was said that to sit or sleep under elder, especially on Midsummer's Eve, would enable you to see the fairies or to dream and visit them while you slept. While it's always good to show some reverence to our plant allies and ask permission before harvesting anything, this is especially true with elder. You did not want to disrespect the elder mother. In some cultures, it was bad luck to use elder as firewood or even to take cuttings from the plant. For some, it was enough to ask and wait for a yes before taking a cutting, uh, but it's definitely best to approach with respect and caution. I hope I've enticed you today to seek out elder's potent presence and medicine for yourself. It truly is an amazing plant and it has so much to offer us. And if you have room to plant some on your land, I would definitely encourage you to do so. Elder is a plant ally that is truly worth taking the time to know and develop a relationship with. If you're local to me, I'm actually going to be running a workshop making elderberry syrup in September. We'll also be discussing other cold and flu season herbal allies. And so you'll be leaving that with elderberry syrup as well as an herbal tea to get through cold and flu season. So if you're local, definitely stay tuned for that. I'll be announcing that shortly once I have a date confirmed and an event page up so that you can register. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. A huge thanks to those who have already done so and to those of you who share this in your stories or Facebook or just send it to friends so that they can find the podcast as well. Please feel free to contact me with questions, comments, topics you'd like me to cover on future episodes. Someone reached out to me last week asking about cover crops, so we will definitely be doing an episode about that soon. If you have other topics you want me to cover, shoot me a message. You can always get in touch with me by email, foxandelder at gmail.com, or over on Instagram, foxandelder, all one word. I will be back with new episodes on the first and third Wednesday of each month. Until next time, keep your hands dirty and your heart open. Mm -hmm.